Hello, Lime Ninja Nation. I wanted to bring you a recording of the February Lime Briefing that we did last month and tease the March 22nd briefing that we'll be doing, Dr. Nicola and I. They're really awesome events. We'll be going live on Zoom. You can participate. To sign up, all you have to do is go over to thelimeacademy.com, fill out a really short form there, and we'll send you the Zoom link. We'd love to have you there. That's going to be March 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And just go on, go on over to thelimeacademy.com. It's that simple. Join us for lots of learning. Help us be part of the solution. Be part of the 90% thinkers, not the IDSA 10%ers. Got to get rid of those 10%ers doing and run around them. All right. Here's the recording and enjoy. over a few facts so we can all start on the same page so we're coming from the same place and it I'll, I'll give you the sources as well as the facts so according to the Barry Alive Foundation I'm reading this the primary care misses about 60% of acute Lyme cases that's the Bay Area Lyme Foundation's facts according to the CDC primary care misses 90% so they take their estimate of case, right? And multiply it by a factor of 10. I think we all know that. So according to them, we're missing 90%. According to Dr. Daniel Cameron, who's a past president of ILADS, the average Lyme patient sees five doctors over two years. And in our experience, it's usually much more than that. So if you take the CDC's number of 2019, that's 476,000. 90% misdiagnosed or undiagnosed, that is 424,000 people in 2019 who are at risk for chronic Lyme disease. That's criminal. By comparison, there are only about 264,000, which is also way too high a number for diagnosed cases of, of breast cancer. So that puts it in perspective there. So we've got five parts tonight. Dr. Nicholas is going to go over what's working now in her practice. We're going to invite you to be part of the solution to become an advocate for people with Lyme disease, and then to kind of decide for yourself what's next. And I hope you decide to be an advocate. And then we'll have question and answers if we have time for that. And then I'm going to tell you how to get some free stuff at the end of this. So Dr. Nicola, It's all yours. Oh, I got to unmute you again. Hang on. Here we go. Should have made you co-host. Well, as we get her unmuted, this is my, there we go. Okay. We go. Excellent. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we did it. Yay. Hey, well, thank you. Thanks, McKay. Yeah. Um, so 
I'm going to share my screen in a sec, but just um, by little introduction first, my name is Dr. Nicola Ducharme. I um, am owner and medical director of Restore Medicine in sunny San Diego, although it's not so sunny right now. And uh, I've been working with Lyme since about, almost, well, exclusively since about 2005. I started in 2003. Um, so I've definitely been like in the trenches for quite a long while. Um, and so, yeah, we're just going to sort of share with you tonight. I, I'll go ahead and share my screen here. Let's see, did that work? Yes. Are we good, McKay? You can see my screen? Yep. Perfect. All right. So, I mean, McKay and I are both on a mission, right? So I have been doing this for enough years to have seen a lot of the shenanigans that has gone on. Um, that has impacted patients greatly and their families and, you know, everyone around them. And so, you know, our goal is to train up nurses, coaches, healthcare practitioners, more for the higher levels of like triage and treatment. But we're also really aware of this need to broaden the base of people with enough knowledge to be an advocate um, to at least know enough about Lyme and co-infections to recognize when they may be going on and whether that's, you know, as a practitioner or as a patient, you can still put on that advocate hat. There are still things that you can do. And so that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. There's five parts, as McKay was saying, um, I'm going to start talking about what's working now. So like in my practice, there's some new areas that I've been delving into that I found really, really important and really helpful. So I'm going to share a little bit about that. Um, and then we will go into, you know, some of the other parts after that. So, I mean, our academy that we have created does work on all levels, right? We are really kind of going from this level of trying to help to educate and empower people to be an advocate for Lyme and, and people suffering with Lyme all the way through the triage um, and all the way through the treatment. So that's sort of the higher levels of kind of what, what we've been doing. Um, but the purpose of tonight is, is to kind of look more in this phase one, the, the, just the sort of sixth sense, the, the, the recognition and the, the awareness so that, we can help more people get to the right place. And like McKay was saying, even if it's just, you know, you have a neighbor who's been sick with this and that and has been tested for this and that and no one knows what's wrong with her and this and, you know, and, and just to be able to say, look, what about, what about Lyme disease? Because I've had this experience myself or I knew somebody who had this experience and it turned out to be Lyme, you know, and just enough to know, like the testing is not really very sensitive if the standard testing, so maybe it would be worth going to see a practitioner that kind of knew more about it. Like at that level, that could change someone's life. Right? So that's kind of what we're, what we're looking to do is broaden, broaden the base of people who can say, Hey, but what if it's this? And what would that mean? And, and at least start people thinking and start them in the right direction. So the first thing I want to talk about, um, now, and it's something that I have been working on with my patients, and I just think it's so important to be aware of, is the whole like healing mindset. 
And for me, this came from being trained last summer in hypnotherapy and time techniques and emotional freedom technique and NLP, and just really kind of understanding a deeper understanding of how the mind works. And one of the problems in people with chronic Lyme is so often they've been told, oh, it's just all in your head. You know, like essentially it's psychosomatic. It's all in your head or you're just anxious or whatever, which is so unfair and so cruel really because it's not all in their head. Like these people, a lot of the times they they desperately want to have a life and they desperately want to go back to work and they desperately want to raise their children and they desperately want to do all the things. They're not pretending they're sick. They're pretending they're well, you know, to try and function in, in the world. But I have found that for my, from my experience with my patients, like their outlook on their illness, on their healing, on their potential does play into the outcome of how they do. Right. So th- that's very different. I'm not saying it's all in their head. That's a very different thing. I'm saying they have a very real illness. And if that's you, if you're listening to this more from the patient standpoint, this illness is is debilitating and it affects the brain and if it affects one's cognitive processes and it affects one's emotions. And yet it's so important to try to harness that mindset as much as possible and utilize, utilize the mind to facilitate healing, right? So a lot of people have heard of neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is um, being more and more researched lately, but it's it's essentially the ability of the brain to rewire itself. And, and so one of the things that I'm working with my folks with and encouraging them to do is to do the practices that will help to rewire their brain. Now, Dr. Dr. Nicola, can I jump in a second? I'm going to stop your screen sharing so we can see you a little bit better. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay. So, yeah, so the practices may be really, really simple. I mean, I start out getting people to to do gratitude journaling in the morning, three three minutes, or I have them do a, a few questions at night, like what three things are you grateful for? What are three ways you took care of yourself today? What are three wins you had today? Right? We've, it's so important that we help people to start seeing the positive and therefore like create those neural pathways that are more positive. And this ties into, we were talking a little bit earlier about this whole area of like medical PTSD. A lot of patients with Lyme have been so poorly treated by the medical community and they have stories of like the years of misdiagnosis, the number of times they were thrown out of a doctor's office or laughed out of a doctor's office or told they just needed a psychiatrist or needed an anti-anxiety med, right? Story after story after story. And it's heartbreaking. And at the same time, being stuck in the story just keeps people stuck in the negative. Okay, so it's a fine line between 
not wanting to discredit or discount someone's experience, but also being like, okay, that happened. I get it. That, that, that's really shitty. Excuse my language. That happened to you. And now what's important is to, to look forward to the future, create a, a hopeful future, spend time visualizing it and feeling what it would feel like and, and seeing what it would look like because that will start the brain on the trajectory towards that. So what we focus on is what we move towards. And this can be applied to anything in life. This is not just health. But what we focus on is what we're moving towards. And so one of the things that I have found with my patients is the importance of focusing on the positive, on focusing on the hopeful things, not the helpless things. Okay, And so I mentioned just those, those three minutes of journaling in the morning and at night. Maybe doing a pre-recorded meditation, a healing meditation to program that, that subconscious mind. So this is all, I mean, this is all very, very, I mean, at face value, simple things for people to do. They have to choose to do them, right? They have to be consistent. It's like anything. It's a practice. But that's one area. I mean, I've worked in the evolving medical kind of treatments and whatever for line for years, and I've seen things come and go, and I've seen new protocols pop up that seem hopeful and then there's, you know, problematic or there's no magic bullet. There's no one thing. That's the biggest myth is, you know, if we're waiting around for the one big thing that's going to like wipe Lyme out, I think we're going to be waiting a while. So the things that I have found important, I mean, certainly, you know, fundamentals like nutrition and lifestyle choices, things like that. I've been working with people for years, but now I see and I'm noticing that the people who do that work, and I call it mindset because I don't have the like one right word, but it's so much more than that. It's not just about like, oh, I'm going to think positive and everything's going to be fixed. It's not. So mindset's not quite encompassing enough. However, um, that's, that's, the, that's the word I have for now. But just, you know, if you're in the Lyme world as a patient, then maybe just start trying to, you know, find a practice or two, a healing meditation or a healing like hypnosis audio or like do the, do some journaling and just, or maybe just kind of read a little bit on neuroplasticity so you understand what the mind can actually do and how much control we do have over it. So, yes, Lyme messes with neurotransmitters yes line messes with emotional states yes line messes with all of that and we have to take control and be empowered even within that as much as we can and i am seeing now as people are doing that as i'm guiding them to do that that their their whole view on everything and their and their results are shifting i just want to jump in here and underline this because this this is one of those things that says oh yeah i know about this right? I've heard about this mindset. Oh, of course. But how many people actually do it? How many guide their patients and clients through it? It's such a critical piece. And what we find it in two areas, one is people become so sensitized. And what we find even that sometimes the sensitization, sensitization isn't mast cell activation necessarily. It's actually vagal nerve 
overstimulation or understimulation, whatever the case may be. And what happens is they need to work. Like, for example, I have a patient who's a nurse and she started doing mindset on, on this type of recommendation, mindset work. She was doing the Gupta program, as a matter of fact. And she's at the beginning, she hated it. I mean, hated it. And I said, stay with it, stay with it, stay with it. Your practitioner wants you to stick with it for a reason. So she stuck with it for about four weeks on and off. And she finally came in one week and said, you know what? I can't believe it. She said, I thought I had dealt with all my childhood stuff. And she said one afternoon, it just all came flooding back. And son of a gun, if her symptoms at that point didn't start improving. So I, I just, she, Dr. Nicholas dropping gold here. And I think it can fall on deaf ears, jaded ears, because we've been around the block more than once, right? We've seen it all more than one time. How can something so simple? But if you've been, if your client, your patient has been beaten down for years with medical PTSD, with failure after failure after failure, how can you help them begin to get a winning mindset and some of those feel good neurochemicals that dopamine so they can stick with it. So they remember to do their supplementation. So they remember to do their little exercises. And sometimes they're so sick that getting that second shower during the week is a huge win. And you, you have to be the ones that can hold that space and celebrate with them. And that's where this comes in. So I just want to make sure we're not stepping over this thinking, Oh yeah, you know, this is, I can't believe I'm on here. Wednesday night and we're talking about mindset. This is a critical piece and you have to include it with all your patients and clients. And if you're the, the patient with yourself. So thanks, Dr. Nicola. And here we go. There we go. Okay. All right. So now I will go back to the slide deck. So I was just, I was just saying, Chad, I was just sort of talking off the cuff right then, but if you wanted to hear that again, the, the replay will be available. So, um, so you will be able to, to get that. And each month we're going to do these Lyme updates. So each month we're going to have like a, a different topic or something that I will share that I feel is, you know, like really important in the world of Lyme. Um, all right, so let's keep going here. All right, so next we wanna talk about being part of the solution. And we have talked about this somewhat already. The first level or the first stage is awareness. It's just the recognition of, you know, chronic Lyme is out there, it's everywhere. It's not just in the Northeast, it's everywhere. It affects, you know, every, um, age, every gender, every socioeconomic status, it's its everywhere. So first, the first thing is awareness. The second is the advocacy, being an advocate. And we're just, that's what we've talked about a lot so far. And that's what we're going to sort of continue with. The third step is triage. So this is more getting into the health practitioner level. Um, and it's maybe then you know, not necessarily one's ability to take on the entire line treatment for people, but just enough to either get the initial testing done or to get them to know how to point them to someone who can help them in more detail. And then the, the last stage is the treatment. So um, what we're going to focus on tonight is more the awareness, the advocacy, um, Treatment, the people who are really in the weeds and in the mud and doing the treatment is going to be a smaller group. Um, I am definitely there. I've been there for, 
quite a few years now. Um, and so it's not that everybody's going to feel cold to that. Um, certainly people who are cold, and it is a calling because these, you know, we're working with very, very complex illnesses and complex situations and, you know, complicated by things like Marcel and mold and all the bits and pieces. Um, so that's going to be a smaller group by, by definition, um, but we have to know how to find those people, right? So if we're not that person, we have to know who those people are and how to find them. All right. So, so here's just, I mean, it's sort of a mixed bag with Lyme because we are seeing some things like this is January, 2023. This is really, um, this is really recent. So Texas A&M research aims to improve Lyme disease diagnostics. Great, great research being done to improve Lyme disease diagnostics. Love it. I mean, clearly we need as much research there as, as possible. But here's another one, New Hampshire Public Radio. This was just, you know, August last year. Even in Bullseye, New England region for Lyme, disease often flies under the radar. So here we have, you know, another reflection of the, the misdiagnosis, the lack of diagnosis of Lyme. And here we are, July 2022. Is chronic Lyme disease real? I mean, really? Please, you know. And 5% of people who have Lyme disease say they experience symptoms long after antibiotic treatment. Even that number is ridiculous. Like it's way, way, way more than that. Another one from earlier this year, warmer winter weather kicks off East Coast tick season early. Prevention helps protect people and pets from disease. So that was, um, and here's where I think is the irony is like in vet circles, you hear quite a lot about Lyme and tick bites and, you know, how to protect your dog. And we're putting stuff on the back of their neck every month, you know, and, um, and even, you know, I'm, I'm a horse person. And so even in the horse world, there's some awareness of Lyme, I'd say probably not as much as with domesticated animals, but, um, but, you know, you can go to your vet and ask for a Lyme test and then they'll test your dog. And if it has Lyme, they'll give doxycycline and nobody else, Nobody questions it, you know, but if you're a person, that's a little harder. So clearly we have a growing, a continuing growing concern. So from 2016 to 21, in rural areas, Lyme rates increased 60% and in urban areas increased 19%. And then from 2007 to 21, so a wider time range, in rural areas, the increase was 357% and in urban areas, 65%. So it just keeps on getting worse and worse. Um, the University of Maine gets some federal funds for tick research as state sets record for Lyme disease cases. Well, that's great, but I wonder what how that how is that going to filter down to patients, right? Now, part of the problem with this whole IDSA situation is if chronic Lyme doesn't exist, which it really doesn't per the IDSA, if the IDSA state statement is that chronic Lyme doesn't exist, then how are we going to get funding to help with more like treatment options for chronic Lyme? Um, you know, and we've got a, some statistics in a minute. Well, maybe I'll share that um, when we get to it. But, you know, NIH spending, Per um, for vector-borne diseases in 2018, $63 per Lyme patient. 
West Nile was 13,600 and malaria was 118,000. So, I mean, it's just wild how little, um, how little funding there is for this, what the fastest growing infectious disease. It's, it's really crazy. And I always think of it in terms of um, HIV, right? So when HIV sort of, I guess, back in the 80s, it sort of grew and, um, and was, you know, it was everywhere. It was all over the news. It was all over, like, celebrities were starting foundations and there was so much research money put to it and it was just this huge push to figure out HIV and AIDS. And fast forward to today and there's now medication protocols, there's drug protocols that people are living long, you know, satisfying lives with HIV. Whereas if you look back in the 80s, the death toll was pretty frightening. Why isn't that happening with Lyme? Why is Lyme being swept under the rug? It just doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, we look at the statistics and all of that, it's all fine and well. But then we, these are real people we're talking about. So the Gophers is a, a, a team, a little league team in Minnesota. The, the pitching coach had to take a leave of absence to focus on fighting Lyme disease. Shania Twain was petrified to sing after open throat surgery due to Lyme disease. Justin Bieber had Lyme disease. Like um, Ash Barty, an Australian tennis player, had Lyme and had a couple of years out of tennis because she was struggling to recover. So, and but again, it's not just, you know, it's not just these famous celebrities that we're looking to. This is, this is friends, family, loved ones. This is community. Right. And so, okay, I'll stop screen sharing for a little bit and turn it back to you. But we just thought it would be interesting to hear from a couple of you. Um, like, and, you know, obviously we don't, we don't have time to go into, you know, long backgrounds and stories, but just, you know, how many, if you're a patient, how many practitioners did you see before you got diagnosed? Thanks. If you're wish, willing to share a tiny postage stamp version of your story, and I, I think in this conversation, what Dr. Nicola asked for is is perfect. It's like how how long did it take you before you were diagnosed, and how many practitioners did you see? So, if you're willing to say that, or if you're a practitioner, is like what are you seeing when people finally make their way to you? What are you seeing? And what are the hurdles are, that you're seeing in terms of educating and advocating for, for patients and clients out there? So the way to unmute yourself is to raise your hand. So if you go to the bottom there and click on the reactions, there's a little raise your hand bar and the little hand will come up and that will bring you to the top and I'll ask you to unmute and you can, you can share your story. So please don't be shy. If not, you'll have to listen. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Ori. You have to unmute yourself there. Perfect. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can. Thanks. Okay, cool. Um, I'm a chiropractor, but I've never been able to practice because I am also a patient with Lyme, Bartonella, Babesia, and a host of other microbes. Um, I'm 35 years old. I've been... Uh, Onset of symptoms, age 20, debilitated and on disability by age 24, and I've never been able to work. And I've gone down the rabbit hole for quite some time. I didn't get diagnosed for Lyme until 2019, so 
who knows how long I went undiagnosed. Um, this whole time prior to then, I had been doing, you know, toxins, yeast, mold, parasites, bacteria, and it was just a never-ending cycle. Um, I had done, uh, you know, peptides, um, IV ketamine. I've had oral cavitation surgery. I've had chelation. Um, I have done the Gupta program, uh, dynamic neural retraining system, Joe Dispenza. Um, right now I'm doing Lynn McTaggart. Um, and so I've been around the block. Um, I just started IV antibiotics. I'm actually here in San Diego. I'm from San Diego. I grew up in Rancho Bernardo. I'm living at home with my mom. Um, and I had been seeing uh, Dr. Alexander Schickman, who, that's who, who I've been seeing down here. And I just finished doing uh, IV antibiotics uh, for about 11 weeks. And over this entire 11-year journey, I have never seen improvement. Like, say I have 30 symptoms. Three are debilitating. So, in other words, if I could have those three taken care of, I could live my life. You know, the other ones would be there. It would suck, but they're there. But I've never seen the needle move on any one thing. And I'm even willing to just accept the needle moving on something that doesn't really bother me that much, just so I can see evidence of the phenomena that, that going after these stealth infections while simultaneously, you know, promoting on resiliency and adaptability works in people. And so I guess the question is, and, and right now, you know, with my current practitioner, I'm sorry for rambling. I, I, I'm assuming I probably have a longer history than most people listening on here because I'm both a patient and someone who's hopefully going to be going into this uh, on the professional side is at what point, uh, do, do, do you rule, you know, it, does one just show up positive with an infection, but that's not really what's the cause of what's going on. Um, obviously, the philosophy of just going after bad things and giving the person good things generally ends up doing good things. I understand that philosophy, but in terms of clinical re relevance, that's number one. And then the second thing is, um, how do you know when that bacteria is gone or in remission because, you know, we have IgenX and we have uh, uh, Galaxy and a lot of, unless you have IgM, you know, you're just looking at IgG. And so, you know, my current practitioner, for example, he uses these other autoimmunity antibodies as sort of pseudomarkers. So if these come under control, it tells him that an infection is in hibernation mode. I don't know whether that's an agreed upon principle across all practitioners. And then even if it's in hibernation mode, do you go after the cysts? Do you go after the biofilms? So, or do you just kind of play this whack-a-mole? So uh, these are all answers that I, as a patient, am trying to find out for myself. But I've spewed a lot. I'm, I'm interested in whatever you have to say uh, with regards to those, those things. Lori, thanks so much for sharing. That's a whole masterclass and PhD but I, Dr. Nicola, there's so much there. Will, will you address a, a couple of those? And I, I think the, where, where we need to go with this is, is the chess match, right? The, the marathon, not the sprint, and so much else that's involved because we do have to think outside the tick, especially when it comes to chronic Lyme disease. It goes way beyond the Borrelia, the Babesia, the Bartonella, whatever else opportunistic infections that have cropped up viruses, you know, parasites, the list goes on and on and on. So anyway, I'll be quiet now. So Dr. Nicola. Yeah. I mean, like you said, that's, that's a whole 
that's a whole, you know, PhD level. But so in just to, to answer your question in terms of the testing, when, when one only has an IgG test in the first place, it makes it really hard to retest to get valuable information, right? So I have patients that, oh, when are we going to retest? And I'm like, well, okay, so first of all, you're not symptom-free yet. So if we retested, how would it have us do things differently? Like we're still treating. But also I say, well, wait, let me see what your test showed to start with. Because if you don't have positive IgMs, you don't have that baseline to try to then get to negative IgMs. Whereas an IgG can stay high for a long time, even if someone's in remission. So so Ori, for me, I mean, I go so, I, I'm very much centered in like the clinical response. Um, and then in, in your situation, well, it's like the shoemaker thing for mold, right? So shoemaker doesn't measure mycotoxins. He measures, you know, C4A and MMP9 and VEGF and TGF beta and all of those things that are like biomarkers. And so I think from what you're saying, and I'm familiar with Dr. Schickman, obviously being here in San Diego, um, that he's looking at things that can be sort of biomarkers, but there's no one thing that's going to be specific to Lyme. Like I frankly think that the CD57 is a terrible biomarker. I think it's really unreliable. Um, so it's a tough one. I mean, for me as a practitioner, I, I fall so heavily back on the clinical presentation rather than retesting. I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of testing and trying to get as reliable testing as possible to start with to get an accurate diagnosis. And then it's like, the, what else is going on? You know, what else, is there anything else that could have been missed that could be evaluated that would explain why you're doing all this treatment and not having a positive response? So, but yeah, the retesting question is, is tricky. Thank you. Anybody else have a story to share? We have time for one more. I'd rather it be you than me telling you about my relapse. <laughs> I'll give you a, yeah. Hi, Anita. Thanks. Hi. Um, well, we've been on, on a long trip. Um, my son was diagnosed on the autistic spectrum at age four. He's now 26. So we didn't know to go. I mean, this direction of Lyme was not even thought of or, or anybody was even discussing it, you know, forever while we were taking him to, so I can't even tell you how many practitioners we've been to trying to treat different things um, and all different kinds of practitioners. I mean, could have been 20, 30. We went to 13 homeopaths just alone, just homeopathy alone. We've been to some, you know, many medical doctors. We went to a, a medical doctor out in California. We went to one in Texas. I mean, in Connecticut, I mean, New Jersey, New York, um, and Pennsylvania, um, all trying to, you know, get him somewhere. We did get him, you know, better in a lot of ways with relating to the autism type of doc diagnosis. But all of a sudden, five years ago, my one of the, our general, um, we have kind of an alternative general practitioner. She said, let's test the Lyme. So we did. So now, you know, we've been on and off dealing with that as well as other things like mold, which is another thing that's kind of clouds the whole picture. Um, and um, um, so 
that's where we're at right now. <laughs> Trying to deal with Lyme and, and learn as much as I can about this whole mold thing, which is kind of everybody, again, treating, treating it in a different way, looking at it in a different way. Uh, well, practitioners kind of making up their own treatment plans for it based on a little of this and a little of that, Schumacher and, you know, Jill Krista and, um, you know, all these other people. All the uh, gurus. That I'm reading. Re what? All the gurus. Yeah, the gurus. Right, right. Yeah. So I read their books and they kind of contradict each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, and is it, you know, how real is it? I mean, I can go on and on about the mold thing because we just had our house tested for a lot of money. We just got the results back. And that doesn't even give us anything definitive. Let me tell you, and we spent a lot of money on that testing, two full days of testing. And I know I'm going in a different direction, which I will stop right now because that's it's on my mind at the moment. Thank you, Neil. Let me, let me pull this together because we've got two things going on. One is the, the evil partnership between mold and Lyme and other tick-borne infections. It absolutely exists. We see a ton of it. The other part, Dr. Nicola, that you can address with this is the contradictory information out there and how, you know, whether you're a clinician trying to find out good information or whether you're a patient trying to find out good information, how do you begin to sort through the noise? Well, I mean, I think it, you've got, it's important to realize that different practitioners, like everyone's going to have their way, right? And so different practitioners, like Shoemaker kind of was very much his way with all the mold thing. And then you've got other practitioners like Neil Nathan and Jill Krista who sort of branched out. And so, I mean, I, I think it's just important to not get so stuck on one specific way or one specific person that has all the answers um, and hopefully find a practitioner who's, you know, educated themselves in a couple of different ways, but isn't like so set on one that they're closed-minded to anything else. And that's, I think Shoemaker is brilliant, but, you know, knowing his protocol and the practitioner training, it's, you know, it's a very set line of this is how, this is what you do and this is how you go and this is what the protocol is. Um, so, you know, it is hard, but to some extent, one of the risks, I mean, I think, <sighs> The, the support groups and the Facebook groups and all of that, I understand, provide support and solidarity and just so you don't feel so isolated and you've got people to bounce ideas off, you know, and at the same time, it's a really like it's a slippery slope because then you've got everyone saying, oh, you should do this, you should do that, this worked for me, this worked for me. I mean, it's so confusing and makes you question everything. And we were just talking about this earlier today, actually, with McKay. Like I have patients that come in mad at me because I don't have them on a certain product that someone on Facebook said they should be on. They're like, why aren't I on this? And I'm like, why aren't you on any of the bajillion things out there that, you know, if I, if I was going to put you on every single different thing, that wouldn't work either. So, I mean, to some extent, it's finding a practitioner that you feel comfortable with, that you feel is kind of like has some knowledge and education in a couple of different approaches and then, tailors it to you as an individual, or in this case, your son as an individual, um, because there's no cookie cutter approach. There's no one person who's got it all together. Um, but my caution to patients is always like, okay, but realize that if you're going to get into Facebook groups or whatever, then sure, I get it for support and just for not feeling alone. 
but recognize that there's also a bunch of information and a bunch of lay people telling other lay people what to oh, do yeah. and take. And, yeah. and that can be really dangerous. Yeah. No, I don't even know. I've joined groups like that and I've left groups like that because I realized, I mean, everybody's an individual. What works for one isn't going to work for another. And it is a lot of, you know, mixed up stuff that people are talking about because well, not, and it's also, it's, I mean, people say, oh, we're going to, nobody gets well from Lyme because everyone in the Facebook group says no one that. gets well. And it's like, no, 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 the people get well. They're just not in those Facebook groups anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, so anyway, well, thank you for, for sharing your story and you too, Ari. All right, well, let's keep going, shall we? All right, so I'm gonna share my screen again. All right, so I'm just gonna move through this fairly quickly because I do wanna make sure if possible we have time. We need to wrap up by 5.30 my time, but so 8.30 your time to respect your time as well. Um, but here's what I think is, you know, part of the biggest challenge. like the contributors to the epidemic, poor primary care diagnostic skills. So we've talked about that. Like doctors are not trained to look for Lyme, to recognize Lyme. People come in and say, I've got a bullseye rash. Oh, well, it's, you know, you've got a fungal infection or whatever it is. Like it, there's just a huge disconnect at that primary care level um, of, of people getting caught early and therefore treated early. There's also the magic bullet fallacy. Just take 14 days of doxycycline and you'll be fine. And people are told that whether it's acute or chronic. I mean, people with chronic Lyme who've been sick for 20 years have been given 14 days of doxycycline and said that's sufficient to treat your infection, end of story. And that's not true. There's no like, oh, just take this drug and you'll be better. It just doesn't work that way. We talked a little bit already about the IDSA guidelines, right? So the Infectious Disease Society of America have treatment guidelines that dictate what primary care docs and infectious disease docs are giving for Lyme. And the maximum in the guidelines is 28 days of an antibiotic. That's the maximum. Most of the guidelines are like 14 days, maybe 21, typically a single antibiotic. Um, and so the guidelines, which are, you know, these standards of care that doctors are following are just, you know, they're, they're not appropriate for, for what really works for people. So the guidelines say that Lyme is hard to contract. They say it's easy to diagnose and, you know, and that it can be easily treated. And we know that that's not the case, but that's still the dominant, you know, rhetoric. So we want to be part of the solution. We want to, like, be aware. And so that's what we're talking about tonight with the advocacy, with that sort of the sixth sense. So if you're a practitioner, you know, the key is to know, to recognize some of the different variables of, um, of what Lyme can look like, what how it can show up. And, you know, one of my big clues along the way has been, you know, Lyme is the disease that can affect every different system in the body. And the problem, one of the problems I see is that in the allopathic, you know, Western medical world, the body has been divided into segments or systems. And so a rheumatologist is looking at, you know, their, the muscles and joints and connective tissue. A neurologist is looking just at what's happening in the nervous system. A psychiatrist is looking at like what's the psychological and psychiatric elements. Um, a gastroenterologist is looking at it from a standpoint of like what's going on in the digestive system. 
Whereas there's not really one practitioner who's pulling it all together and seeing people as a whole person, like treating the whole person. And that's, I won't go on a tangent, but that's one of the things I loved about naturopathic medicine. It's one of the philosophies, one of our central tenets of naturopathic medicine is to treat the person as a whole. But in Western medicine, when we've got people broken down into systems, so the neurologist can't find anything wrong with the central nervous system and the cardiologist doesn't find anything wrong with the heart. And the rheumatologist says you don't have autoimmune disease. And so they're all seeing their piece of the puzzle or they're like part of the elephant, if you will, and saying, I can't find anything going on here. So that's classic Lyme is every system and every specialist is like, I can't see anything going on here. But you ask the patient and there's something going on in every single system of their body. So, you know, it's it's difficult, but some of the, the, the roadblocks here are, you know, the mistaken belief that no Lyme is present in a specific area. Can't tell you, I mean, I'm in San Diego, can't tell you how many times I've heard that. There's no Lyme in California. There's no Lyme in, you know, San Diego. There's not as much Lyme in San Diego as in, as, you know, Napa Valley, for example, or some of where central New York, Pennsylvania. I mean, granted, I admit that, but I've had patients 10 minutes from my office. I'm 10 minutes from downtown San Diego. Patients bitten while out gardening and contracted acute Lyme, bullseye rash, all the things. Right? So that's one of the things. The IDSA claiming Lyme is cured with one course of antibiotics, which is rubbish. And it's just simply misdiagnosed. So a couple of things that can, you know, be helpful. And this is something that too, if you're looking at, if you suspect someone you know has Lyme and you want to just kind of help them out a little bit just to sort of screen and see if that might be a thing, you could point them to something like Dr. Horowitz's Lyme assessment. He's got a very detailed questionnaire um, that's just a simple screening tool. And so even something like that, just to get people thinking like, oh, I checked a lot of these boxes. Huh? This is a screen for Lyme. Hmm. Oh, gosh, maybe. You know, and then we get into the clinical assessment and then we get into the right testing. And so those are all sort of further up the line of practitioner roles. But just something like the awareness of a basic screening tool can be really you know, helpful as well. So this is just an example of it. It's quite in, it's quite in depth. Um, his questionnaire is quite lengthy, but again, Lyme affects all the systems. So it can, you know, it can do everything from pelvic pain to heart palpitations to twitching of the face. And, you know, it's just, it, it can do so many different things. So here's what we see, this laundry list of misdiagnoses that, you know, Lyme is called the great imitator. So there's so many things people come in and say, I've been diagnosed with chronic fatigue. Well, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, they're not illnesses, they're syndromes. It's just, it's a description of a group of symptoms. That's all it is. Um, but I mean, when you see the, the diversity of the misdiagnoses that have happened, you realize that this is, you know, this is these specialists looking at their one system, trying to explain away what's happening in the one system without seeing it as a big picture. So in terms of what's next, so we have talked about the first two levels today. Um, we do have a further training, and I will let McKay tell you about that um, if you are a practitioner and are sort of interested in learning how to go to the next step. Um, but like I said, that is, it's definitely a calling, and it's the most rewarding thing ever, I can tell you, having been doing this for years and years. Um, but 
one thing McKay and I really committed to is education at every level. So um, if we can help, you know, patients be able to be, you know, a bit more empowered, or if we can help community members be able to, you know, offer a possibility to an, a family or a friend, family member or friend that's really suffering, then that's, that's equally important to us as training practitioners at the highest level. So that's really been our goal is to like really try and kind of, yeah, be like serve and provide value and provide help at kind of every piece and every level along the way. So with that, I will hand over to McKay. I say thank you very, very much for being here. Um, so we may have a few minutes for questions. I'll, again, McKay, I'll leave that up to you. Um, so I'm, I will definitely be here and hanging out. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening and thank you for your attention and, um, and for, you know, being a stand for, for people with Lyme. Thanks, Dr. Nicola. And I forgot to tell everybody at the beginning, she's sneaky smart. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like, she, she just comes off as, you know, your, your best friend next door, having a casual conversation. And then all of a sudden, like the knowledge bombs start coming out. And she, she just really has studied this and other things over the years to become an expert in Lyme disease. It's, it's really amazing. I'm honored to be able to work with her and to uh, share her, share her knowledge is what we're, what we're about. Now, if you hang on to the end, right at about 830, I'm going to tell you how you can get free stuff, which includes a recording of this, the slides, Dr. Nicholas notes, we're going to give you uh, a copy of Horowitz's, a PDF copy of Horowitz's Lime quiz. So you can use that for yourself and other people. I'm also going to give you an address for an online version of it. Now the online version doesn't collect any data. So it's not about harvesting emails. It's just literally a service that you can give to people, a resource to give to people. So if they don't screenshot the thing at the end, they have to take it all over again. So there's no, there's, there's no way to do it, but it goes through step-by-step step and walks them through. It takes about six, seven minutes to do that. So in the meantime, for the next uh, about 10 minutes, want to open it up for question and answer. Again, if you have a question specifically for Dr. Nicola, raise your hand, use that reaction button at the bottom, click on that and I'll unmute you or ask you to unmute to be technically correct. Does anybody have a specific question? Going once. Terrific, Catherine. Here you go. Just click the unmute. Perfect. Thanks. Hey, hey, hi. Thank you for doing all of this. It's just always um, feels better to um, not that, I guess, misery company. That's not it. It's that just is very supportive to have be around other people who find this important and are struggling with it. My question is, what do we know is happening legally or politically. I know that I was watching the movie, The Red Ring, and it talked a lot about the uh, NIH and kind of the top-down approach, which is really throwing us all on us. I read about a senator at one point that had Lyme's disease, and it seems like they kind of got money and it just went away. And um, it seems like that's... Um, Certainly one of the points of the movie, The Red Ring, was that the, the top-down approach to this disease um, is um, so 
um, poor. So I was just wondering if, if, you know, there's any legal or political anything to give all of us any hope since that. That's a great question. McKay, I'm going to, I'm going to defer this one to you. Um, I will say for myself, Catherine, to be quite transparent, um, I don't, I don't stay as up to date in, in all the little political pieces. Um, not because I don't think it's important, just because I'm so in the trenches on the clinical side that um, that I really focus my attention there. But McKay, you've got your finger on the pulse. What would you say to that? So when things are this messed up, here, here, this is my personal feeling about it. So I don't know, right? We're, none of us are in these meetings that are held behind closed doors. Um, so none of us really know. My feeling is that when things are this messed up, it's hard for us to believe that they can get so, so out of whack. So that such a poor job can be done by professionals. Like how can they be so bad at their job that they're missing 90% of people with Lyme disease? That's horrible. That's terrible. If, if somebody, if Dunkin' Donuts got your order wrong 90% of the time, they'd go out of business pretty quickly, pretty quickly. You'd start going somewhere else in a hurry. So how can this be? And I think what happens when we, our brains want to understand, it's like, I don't understand. It's, it's, a, it's a painful spot for our brain to be in, not to understand what's going on. So we begin to construct, in the absence of information, we begin to construct an explanation for why. And I think the idea that it's top down is clearly one of the problems. The idea say is quite frankly, and excuse me if somebody else here is, is related to them, they're the enemy. They are standing in the way of progress and for whatever reason, but that's the way human nature, it's not necessarily because they're evil people. They, they were saying this about physics in the, in the 20th century. I studied this. They said this about, um, Oh, good grief. The, with Coke and, and the, the lung disease that they were having in the 1800s. Help me out here, Dr. Nuker. What's the... Tuberculosis? Yeah, tuber thank you. Jeez. Tuberculosis. That's my own little Lyme disease uh, brain fall coming on here. But it's like even back then, they, could, they couldn't break through the establishment. That's the way that human beings work. The establishment gets established. And like Einstein said, we can't solve today's problems with today's thinking. You have to have tomorrow's thinking. And we're stuck in today's thinking. And it's unfortunate. And we can't wait anymore. Like that's, that's what happened with, with my participation in Lyme Ninja Radio. When I stopped, I got depressed. I said, there's, there's no answer here. Why, why won't these doctors help us? We have to educate the doctors. I've given up on doctors. Not that they're bad people. Maybe we could do it one-on-one -on -one and that could happen. But as a community, we need to go around them. We need advocates. We need people who can triage. And we need people who can actually treat Lyme disease. We really tr truly do. And the even amongst the professional associations, the training is inadequate because the, as Dr. Nicola was saying, the focus is too narrow. You have to be able to see a broad person. You have to have broad experience. And it, it, it is a chess game. It's not tic-tac-toe. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. 
it's a chess game that takes a while to pull apart and you've got to, you have to be as a practitioner willing to take loss after loss after loss. We hear, heard Ori's story. He's been going through this long time. I'm sure there are others here who've been through the same sort of thing as a practitioner. It's hard to stay optimistic and stay focused and to keep going in the face of loss, 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 and just to stay curious and open. What else could it be? What else could it be? Let's not give up here. We can do this. You know, we, oh, look, you did get a little bit better. You got your second shower this week, right? Things begin to turn around. Oh, maybe it is mast cell activation. Maybe it is heavy metal poisoning as well. Maybe it is mycotoxins. Maybe it's a genetic detox problem that we haven't uncovered yet. You have to be able to go beyond. And I think that's, that's, that's where we are. So I haven't seen that particular movie and that's a long windy answer to get around. I do think it is a top-down problem. I think that's what happens to institutions. They're top-down, that's by nature. Innovation comes at the edges every single time. The Wright brothers were not the Department of War and they figured out how to fly long before the Department of War did it for the US. And that's where, you know, that's where Dr. Koch and tuberculosis cure came from. He was a country doctor in Germany, right? That's where innovation comes from. And that's, that's what we're hoping to see. The other thing I think that's important to say, it's also about the world says it's also about the money there. That may be part of it for sure. You know, definitely there's medicine and money. Let's not even go that rabbit hole. There's, there's a massive problem with, with the system. And we all know that as well. And I just lost my train of thought. So I'm going to be quiet after that. Okay. <laughs> so Catherine, I hope that begins to address your, your concern. I think it's a wonderful insight that you have. And it's, it's just absolutely the case. And we can't wait around anymore. We have to be the ones who make the changes. We aren't the ones who have to advocate and learn to triage. Anybody else? Dr. Nicola, and she has to wait it. I got to find you and unmute you. Here we go. Okay, there you are. That's all right. I was just saying, hey, I need to be unmuted. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Catherine, I never really could figure it out. Like, you know, is it, where's the problem? Where is where is the stubbornness and the, the lack of adaptability? Is it the insurance companies that they don't want to pay for care, but then they end up paying for so much more care when people are chronically unwell than, you know, if they just bit the bullet and did, had a better treatment strategy to start with, you know, is it, um, is it the pharmaceutical companies? But you'd think if they developed, you know, the cure for a line, the pharmacist, somebody in big pharma would make a ton of money. Like, I don't know where the breakdown is. And like we were saying earlier with HIV and AIDS, you know, it just took a few really well-known celebrities. And and then, but, you know, we've, we've had some celebrities too. We had, you know, Justin Bieber and Shania Twain and other celebrities that tried to be more vocal. And Yolanda Hadid, if that's how you pronounce her name. And, I don't know, that, that doesn't seem to have moved the needle either. So I think, you know, per what McKay was saying, like instead of looking for the change there, we need to look for the change elsewhere. We need to be the change elsewhere, right? And, and so I don't know if the IDSA will ever change your stance. I don't know if the, the, the ones at the top will ever shift and pivot and They'd have to admit that they were wrong for all those years. That would be tough. I mean, that's not, you know. Not gonna so happen. what we have to do is put our energy into the alternative. And that's where I think ILADS as an organization has done great things. I mean, ILADS is, 
Islands has grown phenomenally since I joined them almost 20 years ago. They they have grown and grown. And so there is a bigger group of practitioners that are wanting to learn how to help people with chronic infections such as Lyme. So we've just got to keep putting energy into that movement and not wasting energy kind of like, you know, trying to like expecting change from a group that's unlikely to change anytime soon. Well, well said. And I have to let you go. It's 830. Thank you so much. So please send a little bit of love to Dr. Nicola in the chat. Just say thank you if you appreciated what she did. I know I did. I always learn something listening to her. And I know you got to run. The rest of you stay on. I'm going to show you how to get the recording and everything else. So Dr. Nicola, thank you so much. I know you got Super. to Well, thank you so much for being here, everyone. It's been a real pleasure. All right. So let me share my screen real quickly here. So, okay. So this is what I'd like to send you. There is a catch, please. And that is to go to this website. And you can screen caps that with the QR code and leave a comment about what you learned, what you got out of that. We're trying to get this out to lots and lots of people. It helps to have positive reviews, as you know, and I'll drop that in the chat. Um, if you don't want to do that and you just want to uh, ask for them anyway, just go ahead and uh, drop your name in the chat and I'll make sure I get that to do. But I really, really would appreciate if you can go ahead and get that out there and I'll drop the website in the chat as well. Give me a second to copy and paste it. Okay, here we go. You have to narrate Zoom, otherwise it doesn't work. So there's the link to leave the comments. It, it'll ask you for your first name and email address that I'll know to send it directly out to you. The other thing, if you do feel called to study a little bit more with Dr. Nicola to learn how to triage, to be a little bit more than an advocate, but really get your hand, begin to get your hands wrapped around helping people in your community, your patients or clients, uh, go ahead and reach out to me. And I'll give you another website where you can have a look at our next trainings coming up in March. I promise that's the only pitch I'm going to make. So it's really up to you to do that. We're not here to put the hard squeeze on you at all. So thank you all for being here. Thank you for being part of the solution. Without advocacy, our, our goal is to train 100,000 advocates, to have 100, to go through this for a couple of years and train 100,000 people. So they're out there clamoring for proper care for people with Lyme disease. And even if you're a client and you do it once or twice a year, that's what we need. That's exactly what we need because the waiting for the doctors ain't gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. And if you do feel called, to get more training and to up your level of commitment to this horrible disease, please reach out to us. And thank you all. So we're wrapping up 8.33. You're all troopers being on this long night together. Thank you so much for what you're doing. For those of you who are caring for other people, for those of you who are fighting the struggle, you're not alone and your fight makes a difference. We're all figuring this out. We're building this airplane as we go. We're going to figure out Lyme disease one way or the other. There is no magic bullet, like Dr. Nicholas said, but we do have each other and we learn from each other and grow from each other. So thank you so much for being here.
and I'll hopefully see you around the block. Take care, everybody. Have a good night. Lyme Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lyme Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lyme Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lyme Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.